This is the Mathematics Education Podcast from MathEdPodcast.com. Welcome to the Math Ed Podcast. My name is Sam Otten from the University of Missouri, and my guest today is an emeritus professor from the University of Missouri, my colleague from just down the hall, uh, Doug Grouse. Thanks so much for being here. Well, it's my pleasure. We're going to be talking about some aspects of Doug's career and also talking about his new article in Jeremy, um, which is entitled Curriculum and Implementation Effects on High School Students Learning from Curricula Representing Subject-Specific and Integrated Content Organizations. Um, and that's written with colleagues uh, James Tarr, Oscar Chavez, Ruth May Sears, Victor Soria, and Didem Talon. And before we get to that article, though, Doug, I want to back up quite a ways, but ask you about your dissertation and where your career started in math education. Well, I want to mention, first of all, that I was a high school mathematics uh, teacher in Wisconsin, Eau Claire, Wisconsin, for a number of years, and that led quite naturally to me attending the University of Wisconsin, where uh, I did graduate work and finished my Ph.D. there under the uh, mentorship of J. Fred Weaver. Uh, J. Fred Weaver is a noted researcher in the elementary school mathematics uh, area, former editor of JRME, and Mm -hmm. Uh, was really a, a very helpful person in developing my not only my interest in mathematics uh, education but also my research ability. I'd also mention that I had a really good experience at uh, Wisconsin uh, based in part on some of my peers that were there and the discussions that we had, uh, in particular Tom Carpenter, hmm. uh, Mary Lindquist, uh, Douglas McLeod, and, and many others. So it was a very positive experience at, at the University of of Wisconsin. My dissertation uh, really was quite closely related to some of the work that my major professor Fred Weaver was uh, was doing. He was interested, as I mentioned, in elementary school mathematics uh, education and had just completed a, a study of students' thinking processes when they solved addition and subtraction. Open sentences was what they were called then, but they were really uh, just equations with placeholders. And my dissertation really followed uh, from that in that I studied uh, students' performance and their thinking methods in solving multiplication and division, uh, open sentences, um, using written surveys and then following up with individual student uh, interviews. And so that's uh, kind of what led to my uh, my dissertation. Mm-hmm. And... I remember reading some work by you um, out of the process product paradigm, but I was wondering if, you know, starting maybe at that point, but moving forward, if you could take us through some of the main themes of your research, you know, after you finished your dissertation and, and entered into academia. Well, sure. Uh, my first position was here at the University of, of Missouri, and uh, coincidentally, the same year that I came, uh, uh, Dr. Tom Good came uh, to Missouri uh, from the University of, of Texas, and uh, we developed uh, a lasting friendship and what I think is uh, a productive research uh, agenda. Uh, basically, we were interested in identifying effective mathematics uh, teaching methods, and uh, the way we went about uh, doing this was to study large groups of teachers and their impact on student learning by looking at the students' uh, achievement uh, records. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, Basically, this led to uh, identifying teachers that uh, 
year after year got particularly good results uh, uh, with regard to student achievement and teachers that uh, tended to underperform. So once we identified uh, those teachers, we spent, um, well, what I consider almost endless hours uh, (laughs) with the help of graduate uh, students Mm -hmm. uh, studying their classrooms, observing what they did. And from that, uh, we put together um, a model or a framework for uh, effective mathematics uh, teaching. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was all naturalistic work, correlational work. And, of course, correlation doesn't necessarily mean cause and effect. And so uh, we conducted two rather large uh, experimental uh, studies, one at the upper mm-hmm. elementary school level and one at the junior high school uh, level. Mm-hmm. And in both these uh, studies, the learning model that we developed uh, Uh, proved to be very effective in terms of increasing student achievement, uh, better than uh, the teachers that were just asked to teach in their normal way. So long story short, this led to uh, the book that we uh, jointly authored along with Howard Ebermeyer, Active Mathematics Teaching, and uh, that framework uh, has been used in quite a few schools across the country in connection with staff development and uh, professional development work. I I guess my story changes a a bit at this point uh, as I spent a considerable amount of time uh, as editor of the first handbook of research on mathematics teaching and Mm -hmm. and learning. So that took a a few years out of my uh, (laughs) career, but very uh, productive. I found it a very useful learning experience for me, uh, reading and reacting to the chapters that were written. And um, uh, hopefully it was a contribution to uh, the field as as well. So once you spent that time in around 1992 of really seeing the breadth of math education research um, and identifying some of the major issues, um, what did you then kind of spend the next part of your career pursuing? Because I imagine you've kind of had a chance to survey and, and really get your head around what you wanted to make your next effort at. Yeah, well, that uh, focus was primarily on, uh, on teaching and uh, um, effective teaching methods, and from that uh, I got very interested in um, students' problem-solving ability and particular teaching uh, methods that might facilitate uh, students' problem-solving uh, ability, and it wasn't too long after that uh, that uh, my career changed uh, again um, in uh, well, let's leave it at shortly after I uh, finished the, the handbook. Uh, Tom Good moved to the University of uh, Arizona as head of the Ed Psych Department, and I moved to Iowa to work with Hal Shane and Rose Zabick uh, and their mathematics uh, education program. And while there, uh, I continued to uh, do some problem-solving research and uh, with uh, help from an NSF uh, grant, developed uh, some modules for junior high school students that uh, made use of dynamic internet uh, sites to give students problem-solving work in real-life context. Then in in 2004, my career changed again, and (laughs) uh, I returned to uh, Missouri, and and my research interests shifted uh, a little bit again. It became uh, more aligned with the Center for the Study of Mathematics Curriculum that was just being formed uh, the same year that that I came, and um, that sort of led to the curriculum work that I've been doing ever since. Mm -hmm. 
And a big part of that curriculum work now is the Cosmic Project. And I was wondering if you could uh, just orient us to the Cosmic Project and, and let us know about its overarching goals and the structure of that project. Well, sure. Um, first of all, I, I should acknowledge that this was a, a project uh, funded by the National Science Foundation through a four-year longitudinal uh, grant and that it's a, a team effort. Uh, my colleagues, uh, James Tarr, Bob Rees, Ira Papik, and Oscar Chavez uh, uh, are a part of the research group, and we get uh, considerable help from one, two, or three uh, graduate students mm-hmm. uh, each year as, as well. The focus of, of the COSMIC project is to look at curriculum uh, effects, particularly trying to identify aspects of uh, curriculum that uh, significantly impact uh, student learning. And as you know, uh, teachers rely heavily on uh, textbooks, and this has been documented in in a number of uh, studies. And so uh, we wanted to uh, begin studying curriculum uh, effects uh, on student learning, uh, where we looked at student learning quite broadly, that is, using multiple outcome uh, measures. Mm -hmm. When you're looking at these curriculum issues, what was your sort of overall design of the data that you were going to collect? What kind of variables did you make sure to set up right in the design? Well, when you're thinking about uh, you know curriculum effects and in particular uh, aspects of textbooks that might be important, there's been a, a number of uh, studies done previously that took a rather narrow view of uh, the textbooks, narrow in the sense that uh, they might compare uh, textbooks based on uh, the length of the textbook, or the number of exercises in the textbook, or the reading level of of the textbook. And we wanted to take uh, what we considered uh, something a little bit larger, and we also considered uh, something that we thought was a little bit more important, and that is how the content in the textbook is is organized. And as uh, you know, um, there's a major difference in textbooks available in the United States at, at this point in time. Uh, some of them are subject-oriented, uh, uh, and so at the high school level, there's a course in Algebra one, and Geometry, Algebra two, mm-hmm. Pre-Calc, and so on. Mm-hmm. And then there's also the textbooks where the content is more integrated, where the students study a little bit of Algebra, a little bit of Geometry, a little bit of Finite Mathematics, a little bit of Discrete Mathematics, uh, and so on each year, and the courses are named Course 1, Course 2, Course 3, and Course 4. Mm-hmm. And so that's a pretty significant difference between the texts, and uh, we thought it would be important to do a very carefully done uh, study that examined the impact of uh, these two content uh, approaches. And there really hadn't been much work done on this in the past, and the work that had been done uh, had been done by developers, uh, who may or may not have had a, a bias in terms of the outcome measures that they used. And mm-hmm. most of the previous re- research also uh, was on preliminary versions uh, where the teachers volunteers. Yes, yeah. exactly. Right, the field tests of the new textbook that they're working on. And, yeah, so you have volunteer teachers, volunteer districts. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So when you were identifying schools, you wanted to then capture schools and classrooms that were using integrated textbooks, that were using subject-specific textbooks. You did it uh, middle school and high school at both levels? Yeah, we uh, gave quite a bit of attention to uh, sample selection, and uh, what we decided to do was only include schools that offered both types of curriculum within the school. Within uh, the same building? Like, within, exactly. Okay. And... Uh, 
we thought this was particularly helpful and useful because it suggested that uh, uh, the school officials, the teachers, both valued each curriculum, mm -hmm. and it also gave us a little bit of control over the length of the school year, the length of the class uh, periods, the homework policy, the mm -hmm. calculator policy, mm -hmm. the testing policy, and you know you can go on and on. And, and so that was very important. Mm -hmm. And we also so we identified schools that uh, were offering uh, both curriculums, and we uh, narrowed that down to schools that were offering the Core Plus integrated uh, program, and so that was our representative of the integrated uh, curriculum. And we chose that uh, because that's uh, the integrated program that has the largest market share. Mm -hmm. And uh, we also uh, narrowed it down to schools that would allow us to uh, do classroom visits on a regular basis during the school year. And then another big one was uh, that they allowed us to do or administer uh, three outcome measures at the end of the school year. Right. And given how precious class time is and the amount of testing that uh, needed to be done as required by the district and by the states, uh, this was a bit of a limiting factor. Right. But uh, we did end up with uh, a very nice uh, sample. Uh, we had... Uh, Ten high schools in six school districts uh, spread across uh, five different geographically dispersed states. Mm -hmm. And we should say, too, so you mentioned uh, that within the same school building, there would be integrated textbooks used and in that same building, subject-specific textbooks used. But I believe, if I remember from the article, uh, you said that it was not that these were tracked paths. Yeah, it was very much uh, a student choice, and we didn't find any evidence that uh, students were pushed into one track or the other. And, uh, of course, as a part of uh, the study, we did compare beginning achievement of uh, the students in the, in the two groups, and uh, they were very close, uh, no significant uh, difference, and, and so that was important to us. Mm -hmm. uh, we also uh, used propensity scores to see if there might be something special going on with regard to how students ended up in particular classes, and uh, we didn't find any uh, significant differences there either. Mm -hmm. I'm speaking with Doug Rouse from the University of Missouri about his article in the Journal for Research in Mathematics Education. Um, the title begins, Curriculum and Implementation Effects on High School Students' Learning. Um, so we have this setup where you're, you're interested in the sort of top-level curriculum organization of integrated versus subject-specific, and uh, you have 10 high schools, I believe, and you're looking at, and you have a lot of students, um, and you do these multiple measures. Um, but I was wondering if you could just take us through um, a little bit further so with this research question being basically what is the effect of the curriculum organization on students' learning, um, but could you say a little bit more about how you did measure student learning? You mentioned that you used multiple measures, but could you tell us a little bit about each of those measures? Yeah, we used uh, three measures at the end of uh, the school year, and uh, one of them was a standardized achievement test, the Iowa Test of Educational uh, Development. And uh, we chose to include this because uh, lots of people in education value standardized achievement tests. It's a multiple choice uh, test. And so we thought it was important to include uh, that. And then we developed uh, two uh, other outcome measures at, uh, as part of our project uh, work. One was a test of common objectives. That is, it measured uh, objectives that were common to the two uh, curricula. And, uh, it consisted of open-ended uh, items that were rubric scored, and the scores were eventually uh, scaled using item response theory. 
And then the other measure that we developed was one uh, that focused on problem solving and reasoning. And again, uh, constructed response uh, type uh, test, rubric scored, uh, IRT scaled, and, and so on. And uh, probably should mention something that we didn't uh, measure, and that is we didn't measure concepts or ideas that were in one curriculum, but not in the other curriculum. Given limited testing time, uh, we didn't think that was very worthwhile because it was pretty obvious to us that if students in one group studied an idea and the other group didn't, the students that studied uh, that concept are obviously going to perform better. Right, yeah, it's kind of like if you find that, it's not really much. And plus, you're already asking the schools for quite a bit to, to make sure you can run those first three measures that you mentioned. That's exactly right. So I'm curious then about you know what was uh, your main finding for that overarching research question about the organization of the curriculum. Um, and then maybe we can also talk about some of the other kind of nuances that you found as well. Yeah, I should mention uh, that uh, before we talk about those main curriculum effects, that uh, we were very much concerned about implementation. Mm -hmm. And we didn't want at the end of the day to uh, have some conclusion where we couldn't say that the teachers followed the, the curriculum. So uh, we did quite a bit of work with regard to implementation, classroom visits, and so on. And we can talk about that in, in a minute, perhaps. Our findings uh, concerning content organization were, I think, pretty dramatic. Uh, we really, at the outset, didn't know how this was going to turn out and uh, were a bit surprised that uh, on each of our three outcome measures, the students that studied from the integrated uh, curriculum were significantly advantaged and uh, the effect sizes were reasonably uh, large. Uh, 0.31 on the common objectives test, uh, 0.45 on the test of reasoning and problem solving, and 0.17, I think, on the uh, Iowa test of educational development. So, yeah, some, some striking effect sizes there that are sometimes hard to come by in education research. Um, just to clarify, what was the statistics that you used to arrive at those effect sizes, and what were some of the sort of background variables that you controlled for to arrive at those? Well, uh, our analysis was uh, basically uh, what's called hierarchical linear modeling, and uh, this is uh, a statistical procedure where uh, you have a, a sample that's nested. That is, we had students nested within classes, nested within schools, and uh, as part of the analysis, we developed uh, models of, of student learning for each of our three outcome measures. and. Uh, the model basically is uh, a linear combination of factors that explains how each of the factors contribute to the student's learning. And as I just mentioned, uh, one of the important factors was curriculum type, and that turned out to be a major contributing factor. But we also, in the model, included a number of uh, student variables, mm -hmm. um, prior achievement, racial uh, uh, designation, uh, gender designation, um, whether the students were on uh, IEP and, and so on. Yeah, free and reduced lunch, I believe. Yeah, free and reduced lunch, it turns out, actually was at the class level okay. uh, because uh, some of the schools were unwilling to provide that information on the individual student level. And then at the class level, we did have uh, implementation uh, variables. Uh, we had a, a variable that was developed through factor analysis uh, that we called fidelity of implementation. Uh, we had an opportunity to learn uh, factor, and we had this uh, class free and reduced lunch factor. 
And then the model also included uh, a look at some of the interactions uh, among factors that generally led to some interesting findings as well. Mm -hmm. So as we try to understand better the main effect about the organization of the curriculum, though, um, we can take a closer look at some of those factors and the interactions. So you mentioned opportunity to learn, which in in this study was basically the sort of extent to which the book was covered, um, material was covered throughout the year, um, and you had teacher reports on sort of the, the lessons that they taught and things like that. Um, but what were some of the things that you found with respect to opportunity to learn and how that played into this whole picture? Yeah, I, I would like to emphasize uh, that uh, we looked at uh, just a particular aspect of, of opportunity to learn, and it uh, basically focused on coverage. And we realized that, you know, you can look at opportunity to learn in other productive ways, a uh, number of higher order tasks, uh, how those tasks are handled, and, and so on. But uh, given the measure that uh, we used, uh, we did find that uh, opportunity to uh, learn was uh, uh, an important influence on uh, the common objectives tests and also the standardized uh, achievement test, uh, but not so much so on the uh, test of reasoning and, and problem solving. Okay. And specifically with the standardized achievement test, ITED, um, how did, how did Opportunity Learn? Can you say just a little bit more about how that one did play out on the standardized test? Yeah, um, it's kind of an interesting result in the sense that uh, Opportunity to Learn was uh, an important factor overall on the uh, Iowa Test of Educational Development. But interestingly, um, we also found, in addition to that, uh, an interaction effect between OTL, Opportunity to Learn, and uh, curriculum. And um, if people look at the article, there's a, a pretty dramatic uh, diagram of the interaction there. Figure five, I think, if yes. I remember correctly. <laughs> uh, and, and I would uh, sum it up by saying that uh, opportunity to learn uh, was not a particularly important factor with regard to the integrated curriculum, uh, but it was a pretty dramatic uh, factor in connection with the uh, standardized achievement test. And the finding there was mainly that uh, the more opportunity to learn, that is, the more coverage there was uh, of the subject-specific textbook, the more students uh, demonstrated uh, uh, learning on the outcome uh, measure. So more coverage, more learning, and uh, that might be uh, related to the nature of the standardized achievement test, which uh, in lots of people's minds focuses on concepts, uh, routine procedures, and, and so on. The Iowa Test of Educational Development is pretty explicit that the test goes uh, far beyond that, uh, but um, it's still an interesting result, I think. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you kind of summed it up as the more coverage, uh, more learning as measured by these tests, but it seemed particularly salient for the subject-specific, where it seemed kind of like if you're in a subject-specific curriculum situation, then coverage becomes very important. It's almost like if you don't get to cover it, the students don't have a very good chance of performing well on the standardized achievement test. But with integrated, uh, because of the interaction, there was less of this relationship with the integrated curriculum. And so it seemed like, at least for me kind of reading into it, I'm going to kind of just give my own perspective on this. But with the integrated curriculum, students are sort of getting a chance to perform well on the achievement test, even if it maybe wasn't covered to the extent that it would have been. It, so to put it sort of bluntly, and again, this is just me speaking, not from the article, um, 
in a subject-specific situation, you really better cover it to give the student a chance on the test. But in an integrated curriculum situation, you might give a student a chance even if you didn't cover it because of something that's going on in the integrated environment. I think that's a, a good summary. I guess in practical terms it says to the integrated teacher that you don't need to panic if you aren't getting to the end of the book, right. uh, is, is what it says. And uh, that's reinforced a, a little bit, uh, too, by uh, the fact that OTL was not a significant uh, factor with regard to the problem-solving and, and reasoning uh, test, which I think is also an important result. Right. So the, the integrated curriculum uh, had students that were more advantaged on the reasoning assessment than subject-specific but, again, yeah, it, it wasn't really directly related to the opportunity to learn. It seemed like reasoning was coming from something other than the coverage of content. I think that's right. I also wanted to get you to speak a little bit about the relationship between the curriculum, you know, the main curriculum variable that you had, and also students' prior achievement and how that played in. Well, that's a really interesting uh, finding, and um, I think it's interesting because it, it kind of goes against the grain of uh, what... Uh, a few people in uh, the field have, have been saying some people take the perspective that the subject-specific curriculum is uh, a more appropriate curriculum for high-achieving, high-talented students. And there, as near as we can tell, is not too much data to support that position. And in fact, what we found was uh, just uh, the opposite. That is, that there was a curriculum cross-prior achievement interaction uh, on both the uh, common objectives test and uh, also on the test of uh, reasoning and, and problem solving. And the main finding was that high ability students, high talented uh, students, were significantly advantaged if they studied from the integrated uh, curriculum. So you can sum up the situation by saying that overall students were advantaged by studying from the integrated curriculum, and highly talented students were particularly advantaged from studying from that uh, mm -hmm. curriculum, and I think that's a pretty interesting result. Mm -hmm. So in this study, you looked at a variable uh, called the classroom learning environment, which includes things like uh, the extent to which the teacher is building on student thinking, students have a chance to explain, pushes for justification, and various aspects of the environment in which the learning is taking place. And that builds on some of the work done by members of the COSMIC team. I remember a 2008 Jeremy article that included the standards-based learning environment of a study of middle school curriculum. And so I was wondering if you could help us understand the connection between that 2008 study and um, the COSMIC work here that's at the high school level and how the classroom learning environment plays into that. In the middle school study, they defined it a little bit differently than uh, we did, but it was the same concept uh, involved, and they found some significant differences. Uh, we didn't find any significant uh, differences. And uh, so why is that? Well, I wish I knew. Um, uh, we, we've discussed this uh, as, as a project and also mentioned it in, in the article, and uh, people can read what we had to say there. But we think it may be that... Uh, we didn't have as good a measure of the classroom learning environment as we would have liked. Uh, we used uh, an overall uh, measure that combined three uh, subtests, and uh, if we had a more uh, focused uh, measure, we think that the results might have been differently. That's not to say that they would have been, mm -hmm. um, but they uh, might have been. But 
you know, the study was not a study of the classroom learning environment. That was just something that we wanted to take into account. And so uh, that might be a fruitful area for someone else to uh, pursue because it is an, an important uh, question and, and um, an area that uh, has gotten quite a bit of attention in the literature. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking with Doug Grouse uh, about his article, Curriculum and Implementation Effects on High School Students' Learning from Curricula Representing Subject-Specific and Integrated Content Organizations uh, in the current issue of JRME. So we we started to talk about uh, the classroom learning environment. You said that might be an area of future research, kind of taking a different perspective on measuring that variable. Um, But I was wondering if you could talk about some other sort of future avenues that you think this study points to or, you know, some particular takeaways that you see from this article that people might bear in mind and then that might inf- inform their future work? Well, a takeaway from uh, this particular uh, study uh, might be that if teachers and administrators uh, value the outcomes that we measured, uh, then they might think seriously about uh, implementing uh, an integrated curriculum. As you know, the textbooks in most uh, countries, particularly high-performing countries, generally take an integrated approach to uh, content, and the United States traditionally hasn't scored particularly well on those international uh, assessments. So I think that would be uh, something that uh, school administrators and uh, teacher committees uh, might take into account, and and maybe uh, textbook authors as as well. been kind of interested in in the fact that at the elementary school level, uh, the content's been integrated forever, Mm -hmm. uh, and it's only when you get to the high school level that uh, things have been uh, narrowed to subject-specific courses each year. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of uh, research that uh, could and should follow from uh, from this study. We don't have reason to believe that our choice of Core Plus as the representative of the integrated curriculum had any particular uh, impact on the results of the study. Uh, But since the results are quite dramatic and quite uh, important, I think, uh, it would be worthwhile for people to uh, do similar kinds of research uh, where the representative of the integrated curriculum uh, was uh, a different uh, textbook series. And as you know, there are a number of integrated programs out there, and so that would be an important uh, thing to do. Another important study, I think, would be to... um, take a look at the pedagogy that's embedded in the Core Plus program and see what impact it has. Uh, I think there are probably listeners out there who would say that, well, the small group uh, work, the collaborative uh, work, and and so on, uh, had an important impact on uh, this beyond or in addition to the content organization. But that would be uh, worth uh, studying. It would be an interesting study to me if uh, a different pedagogy was uh, uh, used in connection with uh, the Core Plus uh, material. Mm -hmm. This might be anathema to the authors of that (laughs) curriculum, but, uh, you know, maybe a a pedagogical approach that focused a little bit more on increasing the amount of interaction between the teachers and the students rather than among the students uh, themselves uh, might be uh, more uh, productive. Uh, As you know, if you look at my previous uh, research, uh, I have a lot of uh, faith in uh, in teachers and the important role that they play, and that uh, if for a large part of the period they're sidelined to just going around and checking on uh, groups, uh, I'm not so sure that makes use of uh, 
their expertise and knowledge of uh, students' backgrounds. And so that'd be an interesting study to do. Right. And I have some interest in that uh, myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think with group work, um, it can really get the students activated in the mathematics, but it can also be an opportunity for the students to basically goof off more. <laughs> you know, it, it gives them some freedom from the teacher's oversight and control, and so some students will use that rather than to engage in rich mathematical practices, they'll use that to pull out their phone or to <laughs> have a side conversation. And so there's definitely potential benefits and potential drawbacks to that kind of pedagogy. So I think some more work is needed to really untangle that from this mix of the content organization and the pedagogy and the way that the students are interacting in the class. My guest is Doug Grouse, and I introduced him as emeritus professor. He's recently retired here at the University of Missouri, though he still seems to be around the math ed suite quite a bit, (laughs) if I do say so. But I'm curious now, in retirement and looking ahead, uh, what sort of activities do you see yourself doing? What do you feel excited to get into? Well, I do hope to continue to be uh, active in in mathematics education. We've got uh, a number of important findings that uh, haven't been uh, written up yet, and and so I want to continue to to work on that. Uh, But that said, uh, I'd like to uh, do a little bit more traveling, have a little bit more leisurely schedule, improve my golf game. if any of the listeners want to give pointers, I'm very open uh, to that kind of advice. We'll have to look for some nice golf courses near the next NCTM conference or AERA conference. That sounds good to me. <laughs> Doug, thanks so much for spending the time talking about your work. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the MathEd Podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, please use the PayPal donation button at mathedpodcast.com.